God. Are you ready for God just to show up and do something great? I pray that we are. Uh, you know, A.W. Tozer said that we need to have an arresting encounter with God. And we'll say, we throw words out there, an arresting encounter. Ooh, that sounds good. Well, what does that mean, man? I mean somebody's putting you in handcuffs and taking you into con- custody and controlling you, telling you where you're going to go and what you're going to do. You, you're arrested. You're, when, you, when you're put under arrest, you don't have any rights anymore. You've relinquished all that to the arrestor. Is that a word, arrestor? Hey, brother, I speak American. I make my own words. I gave up on English a long time ago. I failed it three times in the, whatever, the 10th grade, I think. I went to summer school and still almost failed it. So I just gave up on it. I I just started speaking American. It's a new, improved version. But we, we need things that's going to change our life. It can be something that's really great that can change your life, an encounter with God that can change your life. It can be something just over the top amazing, or it can be something that's hardly even noticed. And we see a lot of this in Scripture. I titled the message this day, uh, A Divine Encounter. And it's based on a conversation that I had with a brother this week, a divine encounter. And I started thinking about that topic, divine encounter. And to try to pick a divine encounter in Scripture, you would be amazed how hard that is to do. To pick one out of all of them. There's dozens and dozens of divine encounters in Scripture. I mean, Adam in the Garden of Eden and Abraham when he saw uh, the, the the theophany, the three men coming to his tent. You know, Noah. Enoch, he walked with God and was not for God, took him. I mean, come on, you want a divine encounter, you walk and God says, it's closer to my house than it is yours. Let's come on, you just go with me. That's a divine encounter, amen? Elijah on Mount Carmel, and you just go on and on and on. And on the road to Damascus, Paul, you know, and Peter in the prison, and the angel wakes him up, and just one after the other after the next, and try to pick one to preach on. <laughs> And, but I knew that this is a direction I wanted to go, and I don't know what God's going to do. I'm not usually a person that does series unless God tells me, I want you to do a series on this or that. And the Lord hasn't really told me that. But I'm thinking, you know, there is so much here. I might just stay on this a little while if the Lord will let me with his permission. Divine encounters. And this morning I chose one out of the book of Isaiah. You know, <clears throat> This morning, uh, I want to make sure that I do this right. I'm, I'm using the King James Version of the Bible. And, and listen, you don't have to have a King James Version of the Bible to go to heaven. One will be issued you at the door. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You have to say that because if you don't, somebody says, hey, man, brother. <laughs> You don't have to have a KJV, but when, when I do my studies on my, on my uh, laptop, uh, I have a Bible program, study program. I have 20 different translations of the Bible that I use to prepare messages. And, and I always measure them and compare them to the KJV for accuracy. And because I, I grew up with the KJV. King, how many grew up with the King James Version of the Bible? The Elizabethan poetic English. I've memorized scripture in it. It just seems easier to me. And mostly I do it out of loyalty. I'm old. I went to school with King James. 
We, we called him Jimmy. He wasn't a king then. <laughs> but I grew up in it, so there's a lot of translations that are all okay, you know. And I just tell people, whatever keeps you growing in Jesus, it's all right with me, you know. But we want to make sure that we do have accuracy in what we teach because, brother, you can change one word, and it changes the meaning of everything. The entire uh, premise of your study can be flawed if you misuse one word. And words are important to me personally because I see the Bible says that God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfection of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And the fivefold ministry gift that I believe God has given me is the gift of a teacher. It's not a, the fivefold ministry gifts of a teacher doesn't mean you really know a whole lot, which is true in my case. But God gives you a gift to be able to make it simple and easy to grasp and easy to understand. So having the teaching gift, words are really important to me. And the misuse of a word, it can change everything in Scripture. And you arrive at a conclusion that is false because it's based on a false uh, narrative or it's flawed from the beginning. And, and so there's a word that's used here in, in Isaiah uh, Chapter 6, verse 1, that is left out of all the other translations. It's one word. Also. Also. If you have the word also, that means there's two different things. There's this and there's also that. And you need to understand that if there's also that, then there's something about the other thing that was important to mention. So also is a very important word. Now, it's talking about, in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. I mean, it's Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. That word is very, very important. Now, to understand its importance, first we need to understand, who is this guy, King Uzziah? King Uzziah was 16 years old when he came into his office as the king. And he reigned for 52 years. He was the second longest reigning king in, in uh, the succession of the kings. Uh, Manasseh was the longest. He ruled for 55 years, and he was an evil king. He set up pagan gods, and he introduced polytheism. That means the worship of many gods uh, to the children of Israel. And he caused the children to stumble, and, and, and uh, he, he was a very wicked and evil king. But King Uzziah, early in his, in his reign, he, he was, uh, became victorious over all of his enemies. We, we find that in the account in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, and it describes King Uzziah. He strengthened his kingdom. He improved the, uh, the uh, economic status of his nation. He was a very intelligent military tactician. He, he was became famous because he conceived and constructed brand new weapons. He, he built these towers, and he put in these towers big bows that would shoot great big arrows and, and catapults that would throw stones. He invented those things, and so he became very famous. He was a superb organizer. The Bible says that his fame spread even to the gates of Egypt, to the Egyptian dynasty. And as long as he followed the Lord, the Bible said, because he had a prophet named Zechariah, and Zechariah would tell him what the Lord was saying, and as long as he obeyed the voice of the Lord, God prospered him and God prospered his kingdom. But like many kings, he had a problem. 
He became lifted up with pride. Remember King Saul? All of a sudden, he thought he was Mr. Hotshot. And he was lifted up with pride and took his eyes off of God and placed them on himself. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we'll get back to Isaiah in a minute. Chapter 16, it says, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. See, God was the reason for his success. The king wasn't the reason. It wasn't the king. It was God. And when he entered into the temple, this was forbidden. He, he was not of the tribe of Levi. And Ahaziah, the high priest, got, came and said, what do you think you're doing? You, you can't do this. This is for the Levitical priesthood, the sons of Aaron. And it angered Uzziah, the king. And he held out the scepter to, to light the incense, and leprosy broke out on his forehead. And so the priest cast him out of the temple, and for the rest of his life, he was a leper. And he, had to, he lived in a house all by himself. He was an outcast because of his pride. Pride's a terrible thing. C.S. Lewis said about pride, it is through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And, of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw also the Lord. Because Isaiah was looking up while Uzziah in his pride was looking down on everything and everybody. So his eulogy, it wasn't about the success that he had, the fact that his kingdom prospered. wasn't the fact that he was a military genius, that he was a great king who followed God. When he was buried, he was buried outside in a field that was owned by the king, and his epitaph was, he is a leper, this great king, because he got his eyes off of God. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 20, I want to read that because it said something we need to take note of here. It said, and when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because thou hast not warned him. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he hath done, shall not be remembered. So here's this great king that did all of these great things, but he turned from that because he turned from God. And everything that he'd done up to that point, God forgot it. He didn't remember it. And the last epitaph on his grave was he was a leper. Now, the prosperity of the nation caused the people to look to the king, even in his condition. And so... And the setting here is all of the nation, listen, isn't it the strangest thing that when you are prospering and everything is good, you'll overlook what leadership is doing? Let that soak in a minute. Listen, when evil is, it's always evil. Sin is sin, wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter how good everything is going. It's wrong. 
It needs to be dealt with. We take that very serious around here. Brother, I am my own worst critic. I, I guard my heart. I check my heart because I fear God. And we demand a certain type of walk in leadership. Amen? Isn't that right, Hunter? Hunter can tell you. Hunter's my worship leader. And I tell you, anybody that stands on this platform, you're responsible for them, and most of all, I'm responsible for them. And they're not perfect. None of them are perfect. But, brother, if they, if they cross a line and it's just totally, I don't care how good everything is and how great it sounds, we're going to deal with that. We're going to deal with it. Because I believe that, listen, I'm, boy, I just jumped a rabbit here. I believe that you, you preach what you know, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. There's things that's released in the Spirit. This is why, I don't know if you remember Jimmy Swaggart. How many remember Jimmy Swaggart? Years ago, I supported the man. I, said, I mean, we were broke as convicts. I didn't have two nickels rubbed together, but I believed in what he was doing. We sent him $20 a month. Got his Bible with his name on it. <laughs> supported him. He was going to South America preaching. Thousands of people were coming to Christ while he was sleeping with a prostitute. And when that was exposed, I'm like, God, how, can the, how, in the world, how in the world could a man be living a double standard like that and carry such an anointing? And God told me this, the anointing is not on the man, the anointing is on my word. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me, to me void, but it shall prosper in the thing uh, whereunto I send it. It will accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing wherein to us sent it. The, the anointing was on the word. Now, it was, it was the strangest thing because I had finished Bible college. I had started attending Assembly of God Church, and I was serving on the board. The pastor said, why don't you get credentialed with the AG? He looked at every, all of my college credits. He said, all you need is Constitution and Bylaws and the history of the AG. So I took them online through Berea. It used to be, it's, it's now it's Columbia, uh, the Global Bible College. It used to be Berean. And I was taking the course at the same time when Bro Brother Swagger fell. And I had just studied that if you fall in ministry, that you have to step out of the pulpit for two years, period. And the reason is not to punish you, it's to restore you. You need to go to counseling. You need to get healing. You need to find out why, why did you even do this and let God work you through this because there, you need to deal with these things. But Uzziah was the king and the nation was prospering and they didn't care what he did. Burn the incense in the temple. We don't care. Change the commandments of God. Do it the way you want to do it. We don't care. We're prospering. So the nation, do you understand what I'm saying? The nation's eyes were on the king. They were looking to the king. Look at it in verse, chapter 6, verse 1 with me, if you would. Because right here, God is getting ready to let the nation know something. He's getting ready to show them who is really in charge. Amen? He's getting ready to, they're getting ready to have a divine encounter. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting on upon the throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple now picture this you walk into the church this morning and all of a sudden you see glory 
You see God sitting up on his throne and, and the, the garment that he is wearing is flowing in all of its glorious splendor and filling up all of the sanctuary. Just the radiant glory of his presence, his train, his garment is filling the whole temple. And he says, above it, the throne meaning, stood the seraphims. This is the only place in the Bible we see seraphims mentioned. These majestic creatures. There's seraphims and cherubims and archangels and angels and demons. In the spirit realm, there's, there's a hierarchy. You remember in the book of Jude, it says that Michael the archangel would not rebuke Satan. But he said, the Lord rebuke you when they were arguing over the body of Moses. Remember that scripture? It's showing, that's another whole sermon, but it's showing the hierarchy. Lucifer was a cherubim a high-ranking spirit being, higher ranking than an archangel. And even though he was in a fallen state, Michael the archangel still showed him his, his position, respect, and said, I would not rebuke him, but I said, the Lord rebuke you. So we see this hierarchy, and here are the seraphims, and quite possibly the highest of all the ranking spirit beings. So he says, above him were the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain or two, they covered their face. With twain, they covered their feet. And with twain, they did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. Look this way and listen. When is the earth not full of his glory? It was full of his glory then, it's full of his glory now, it will always be full of his glory. We read in the scripture all the time, he who hath eyes to see, let him see. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But a lot of times we have eyes, but we don't see. We have ears, but we don't hear. Listen, his, the earth is still full of his glory. Come on, church, amen? So he said the earth was full of his glory. And it says, and the post of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried. Talking about the cherubim, the, the seraphim. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What is he talking about? We've been bragging on the wrong thing. King Uzziah, boy, he's great. Man, we're prospering. We have defeated all of our enemies. We got the best weapons. We got the greatest armor. We got this. King Uzziah is, my lips are unclean. I am giving glory to the wrong thing. Do you see what he's saying here? I dwell in the people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. What is he saying? King Uzziah is not the deal, brother. I see the real king. He's high and lifted up and sitting upon his throne. His train fills the temple. And we should be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. Lord, we ask you this morning by the power of the Spirit that you speak to us, God, a very clear word, God. Help us to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the body of Christ today, Father. Not just here at CVAG, but, Lord, everywhere this message is heard. God, may we hear the voice of the Spirit of God that is speaking in these last days, God, that we need to prepare the way of the Lord. 
Speak to us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the reason I'm preaching this message is I had a conversation with a, a brother this week, and, and he was telling me about a friend of his who had gone on a missions trip to Haiti. And uh, he, he, this brother, I could relate so much to him because he comes from a very similar background that I came from religiously, and probably some of you, maybe many of you, maybe, maybe the biggest majority of you came from a background where it was very, let's be kind here, it was very liturgical and rigid and following procedures and practices and rituals that they, they're just lacking in sincerity. You, you know what I'm saying? And so he came from that background and he, and he called uh, uh, his brother when he got back. He said, man, I just got off this mission trip. He said, and I have never encountered anything like this in my life. Same denomination there as the church that he goes to. He said, but man, said the first song that they sang, they sang it for a half hour. And said people were shouting and they were running around. He said people were falling down. He said, I have never seen anything like that. And he said, it, it, uh, it just rocked my world. This brother, he said, I know I'm coming off of a missions trip. I understand that, and I know this is going to fade. And I'm on the phone with my brother, and I said, I said you know what? It will fade. It, it, if you've been on a missions trip, you know what I'm talking about. It, it fades. But I said there's an abiding residue that will never leave him, something he will never forget, and that residue will create in him a hunger that he wants more of that. Brother, if you've ever had an encounter with God, you know what I'm talking about. It does fade, but brother, there's a residue left behind, and you are always saying, God, I want to know you like that again. Lord, touch me again. God, I want to hear your voice again. Lord, I want to see you touch other people because it changes you. You never overcome that. You don't want to overcome it. You never get over it. It's always there and say, we, we, we want that again. We want that again. We've had many encounters like that here at CVAG. If you've ever been on a missions trip, you, you never get over that. I, I remember when the first time we went to Mexico and all week long we're walking around and you could, even as I talk about it, you can hear the sounds. You can almost smell it again. You can almost taste it and feel it and you see all the poverty and everything and it's just ripping your heart out you know and you and then I remember on Friday we would work all week and on Friday they would take us to a place where you could buy souvenirs and stuff to take back home to the family and this and that and there was a there was a war going on inside of me I'm there buying things for me and myself and my family back home who has everything in the midst of these people who have nothing there was a war going on inside of me, but I wanted to take something home to my family and this and that, so I'm buying this stuff. And I remember walking out on the street, and this little lady there, she was an Indian lady. The Indians are not even liked by the Mexicans. They are the absolute bottom of the food chain. And she's there with these two little girls selling little packages of chiclets for a quarter. Not so she can get ahead, but so she can feed her grandchildren today. 
And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I can't, I've never seen anything like this, you know. And I, I remember I just gave her $5 for a pack of chiclets. And later that day, she went into a restaurant where some of our team were eating, and there was food left on their plate, and she asked if she could have their leftovers. And I remember Jeannie and I getting on the plane, and we're back in San Diego, and we're getting ready to fly out, and, and, and the, the plane gets in the flight, and we take off our seatbelts, and they come by, and they set a sandwich and a bag of potato chips and a soda on our, on our thing. And I'm, I, I look at Jeannie, and she looks at me, and we just start weeping. And this brother, he said, I went to Haiti. He said, they have so little and they give so much, and we have so much, and we give so little. He said, I know I'll get over this. And I said, no, no, you won't. You'll never get over that. But it's so true. And he said, when we got back, my pastor, he wanted us to share, so he said, the night before I'm supposed to speak, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up, and, and I'm talking to the brother on the phone. He said, excuse me a minute. He said, when I heard him say 3 o'clock, I knew, I knew. I've heard so many. He said, Pastor, I've heard you say that 3 o'clock hour. There's just something about that. He said, so I perked up and I paid attention. He said, he said at 3 o'clock I woke up and said, I just could not get it out of my mind what the Lord was t asking me to do. And he said, I walked back into our church, this very rigid, dry, dead, stale church. And he said, I got into the pulpit, and he, the lady, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those churches. I mean, they've got an order of service. Brother, and you follow it to the letter. You know, you, you have the call to worship, and everybody sings, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And, and that's every Sunday, call to worship. It's time to... You know, call, and then we have the, the uh, invocation, some kind of special reading. Then you have the song of dedication, and then you have a welcoming for everybody, and then a responsive reading, and then you have the offertory hymn, and the ushers take the offering up, and they go to the back, and they're sitting in the back waiting, and everybody said, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, while they're bringing the offering down the aisle. Every Sunday. Same thing, and you don't deviate from it, brother. The Holy Ghost doesn't work here. This is our bulletin, and we go by it, period. Now, he's got to walk into there and say, we're not doing that today. And the lady who had picked out the song said, well, if we're not doing that, I'm leaving. And she left. <laughs> And when he said it, I said, I am not the least bit surprised to hear that because I have seen that kind of thing before, amen? <laughs> so she laughed. And I, you want to get in the flesh and say, well, bless God, don't let the door hit you with the good Lord it's on your way out. But you try to say in the spirit. He said, we're not going to do that. And he shared his testimony. He said, today... We're going to pray for the presence of God. We need to have an encounter with God like those people have. And he said, if you'll join me at the altar. And this brother out in a little country church in the eastern part of the state, a little bit small church out in the country, he said he knelt down at the altar, something they rarely do. I was in a church for nine years. I saw people at the altar one time. 
and they were visitors. One time. I'll, I'll take that back twice. One Sunday I preached, and another couple came to the altar. <coughs> he said he knelt down at the altar, and when he looked up, the entire church was kneeling at the altar. And the eyes were full. Praying for an encounter with God. We remember encounters. You, you just don't get over them in, in, in every venue. I, I remember when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I remember where I was at. How many of you are old enough to remember JFK's assassination? I was nine years old. I was playing in the backyard. It was on a Saturday. He was shot the day before. And I remember my mom and dad talking about the president was shot. When, you, when you're nine years old, that doesn't click. But listen, I remember that. I remember where I was when that happened. Five years later, I remember the assassination of Martin Luther King, Jr., a man, by the way, who I respect. Many things about him, not everything. I respect the man. I, I believe that he had the right, right intentions, the right purpose. He was a peaceful man. I, I believe in what he said. I dream of the day when all men are judged by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. I, didn't, I wasn't raised that way, you understand. I was raised in a prejudiced home by a prejudiced family on both sides. My, both sides of my family, they were Southerners, and they were not, you know, kind towards racial people. But when I grew up and, and the Spirit of the Lord came into my heart, come on, it changes you. It, it should change you. Come on, if you're in here this morning, you're prejudiced, you need to repent. Even our Constitution, I, I, we believe that all these things are self-evident. God has created all men equal. We're endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among them is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all men that are equal. And so anyway, I, I remember when that happened. I remember in 1999 when our schools became a killing field. And a young lady by the name of Rachel Joy Scott was shot. And her life, oh my goodness, you ought to get, just look up, Google Rachel Joy Scott and read her life story. Now, this little girl was a prophet. But I remember when that happened. We were, we'd been in the church just a little over a year when that happened. And we all remember where we were on 9-11. We, we remember those encounters. I remember where I was at. I remember what I was doing. I remember when the phone rung and who was on the other end. And they were bawling their eyes out. No, no, no. I didn't even know what they were talking about. I went in and started watching the news. These encounters can cause us to fear, to live in fear, can cause Christians to live in fear. And many people today are living in fear. We get to the point we just don't even want to hear the news anymore. Amen. You don't even want to turn it on. I want to go in and put in a, 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 a DVD of the Three Stooges. Because I'm ready to see somebody get hit in the head with a hammer. Amen. <laughs> but as Christians, we live in fear. I, I remember in 19, early 1980s, they came out with a book, 101 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return Before 1988. Colin Deal. Had him come to our church. And I'm, I'm like, man, that sounds pretty convincing, you know. Another guy the same year, right around that same time, wrote 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in, Before 1988. 
He said, and if, if I'm not accurate in this, the Bible is incorrect in its interpretation. Well, 1988 came and has gone, and we're still here. And it's not that we don't, I mean, we're, the rapture is something we look forward to. We're not afraid of the rapture. In fact, man, I'm, beam me up, Jesus, brother. I'm ready to go. Amen. He says, when you see all these things happening, lift your eyes towards the eastern sky because your redemption draweth nigh. It's the things that surround it that scares people. I remember some years ago, man, did you hear about, I read this article, there's a computer in Belgium, and it's got everybody's information in it, and they're controlling everybody, and you know what they call that computer? Like, no, it's the beast. I'm like, the, the beast is a computer geek in Belgium? Really? I'm controlling the world and pushing buttons. I don't like you. For real. We remember these things. Anybody ever heard of the Belgium beast? Oh, you didn't? Well, don't bother, all right? Y2K. Remember that? Oh, Lord. Get your guns. I mean, people going out buying guns. I, I knew one guy was building a rock wall around his house. Getting his food, getting his guns. Y2K, everything's going to collapse and people are going to be starving. And they're going to be trying to get your food and they're not getting mine. Did you ever think of sharing your beans? And then just recently, the four blood moons. I remember that. I'm like, you know what? So there's going to be a fourth blood moon. And if Jesus comes, bless God. And if he doesn't, he's still in control. None of this changes who Jesus is. Now, now listen, and today it's doomsday preppers. And, and I'm not saying that all of that stuff is bogus. Listen, I am a firm believer that you look towards heaven and you row towards shore. What I mean by that is when you find yourself in a storm, you don't sit there with paddles in the boat and say, oh, God, save me. No, you look towards heaven. We keep our eyes on God, but he gives you a pair of oars, put them in the water, and paddle. All right, maybe some of this stuff is true. You know, the grid, the, uh, uh, I heard the other day, some kind of a burst, bomb bursting over America could stop the whole, shut down the whole grid, and we could be in darkness and this and that. That may be true. I don't know. Get an extra bag of beans. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I've got a few extra beans myself. I'll be glad to share them with you. But I'm looking towards heaven while I'm rowing towards shore. Why? Because I also, everybody say also. I see these problems. I'm not blind. I'm not stupid. Yes, I see these problems. But I also see the Lord high and lifted up. My eye is not on the problem. My eye is on the king. The king. Not Uzziah, but the God that is lifted up and his train fills the temple and the world is filled with his glory. That's the king I'm looking to. Now, I know these serious things are going to happen. But I want to tell you who's in charge. 
Look with me in the book of Revelation. I'll tell you who's in charge, and it's not a geek in Belgium. Amen? I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scrolls or to look at it. So I wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scrolls or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the scrolls and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb that, that as, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes with the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, each having harps and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I like that every time I read it. I've got to just stop there a minute. They got a, goal, a bowl that is filled with incense, which is the prayers of the saints. Listen, God is hearing your prayers. They're going up to heaven like smoke off of an incense. And God is collecting them and putting them in a bowl. And one day he's going to bow down before the Lamb of God. And all of that aroma is going to come out. A sweet-smelling savor before him. Verse 9, it says, And I, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Verse 11, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying. Brother, I want you to just get a picture of that. The birds in the sky, the beasts walking in the field, the fish are sticking their head up out of the water, and all of them are singing praises and glory to the Lamb of God. C can you imagine? Can you imagine? Listen, the serpent talked. A donkey talked. My, my grandson, he was telling, uh, Josiah, my oldest grandson, he was riding home with Gigi. And he, I, when I take them home, they want Pappy to tell them Bible stories. And they sat there listening to every word, and I'm telling them Bible stories. Well, they wanted Gigi to tell them a Bible story because I wasn't there. Well, he started telling her a Bible story. He said, These, this man, woman, was in the garden, and this serpent was talking to them and this and that and the other thing. And when he finished, he said, do you know what that tells you, Gigi? And she said, no. He said, that's what you get when you listen to a talking animal. <laughs> I 
<laughs> Every creature in the heaven, it says, and, and I heard him saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lived forever and ever. And verse 1 and 2 of chapter 6 said this, And now I saw the Lamb, and he opened the seal. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying to me with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, out came a white horse. Now listen. Look this way and listen. We'll tell you who's in charge. It's not some geek sitting at a computer in Belgium. It's the Lamb of God that was slain by the world. And when he starts opening those seals, it's a picture of him opening seasons and events. And out came a white horse and then a black horse. The white horse is war. The black horse is, is a hunger, a famine, and starvation. The, <clears throat> the red horse is plagues. And then the pale horse, it says that uh, death followed him. His name was death, and hell was with him. He went about killing. After that, we see the, 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 the saints under the, the altar, and, and they're robed in white. And they say, how long, O God, before you avenge us on those? And he said, just a little while while the other saints are, are waiting, and they will be killed, and then I will uh, avenge you. Then we see the next, the, the uh, sixth seal open, and they're running to the mountains, crying that the mountains will fall upon them to hide them from the face of the Lamb of God who is sitting upon the throne. They'll seek death, and they can't find it. Between that sixth and seventh seal, oh, my goodness, it's bad. And in the seventh seal, he comes out, and, his, and a spirit comes out, seven different angels, each having a trumpet. And when they blast the trumpet, a wrath is poured out on the earth. The second one blows a trumpet and another wrath, the third and another wrath, the fourth and another wrath. And then an angel comes and says, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth for the first four blasts because there are three even worse waiting to come. What am I saying in all of this? This is not events. It's just happening, popping out like fireballs out of a Roman candle. These are events that are totally orchestrated and controlled, not by some geek at a Belgium computer, but by the Lamb of God who sits upon the throne, the real king that we are supposed to be keeping our eyes on. Amen? That's the point of all of this. God is in control. And what I'm telling you this morning and what I believe God wants us to see is no matter what is going on in the world around you, no matter what's going on in your life, you need to see also the Lord high and lifted up. That's the God encounter that we need. I need to see the Lord. See, it's just a matter of per perception. It's a matter of perception. See, this natural world is so real, it's hard to see the supernatural world. So our perception is flawed by what we see. I, I remember when we were kids, when I was a little boy, I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church on Sunday. I was drugged to church on Sunday night. <laughs> I was drugged to church on Wednesday night. VBS, brother, if the doors was open, they drugged me up in there. <laughs> and... And their marketing wasn't towards children. So, you know, so it was, I won't say boring. You shouldn't say church is boring. It just, it wasn't something you look forward to doing as a child. I remember every Sunday night when that wonderful world of Disney and that peacock would go ping and that little angel fairy would come out and go ping and all those colors. 
It was time to shut the TV off and go to church. <laughs> and I wanted to stay and watch Disney, you know. That, by the way, is making a cartoon with the first lesbians kissing, just so you know. Boy, Walt would turn over his grave. But I remember that. I remember my brother telling my dad, he said, I'll be glad when I grow up, I want to be a deacon. And I remember my dad telling this story. He was so proud that his son wanted to be a deacon until he found out why. He said, well, when I become a deacon, I won't have to go to church on Wednesday night. I'm, now, listen, if you're, if you're here and you're serving in some place of leadership and you don't come on Wednesday night, don't take that wrong. I know there are circumstances. We are, we're in a rural community. All right? People travel a long ways. You've got to work. You're tired. Be blessed. I'm not throwing stones at you. I'm really not. I'm just telling you what happened. We didn't live. We lived in an urban. So it wasn't that far to church, you know. So maybe I shouldn't have said that. I don't, get to, don't take that wrong. Please don't. Amen. But I'm just saying, for kids, it wasn't fun. And so we'd have to sit there, and I'd have to do things to keep from getting in trouble. And I wasn't very good at that either. Boy, my mom, I remember one time she picked me up. She's carrying me out of the church, and Bill King, the pastor, he said, Abby, he stopped right in the middle of the sermon and said, Abby, don't you whip that boy. Embarrass my mom in front of the whole church. They could hear every lick. I was outside. Wow. I remember right home, I'd be up in her face and say, Mommy, I was your good boy today. She'd give me a choice, the belt or the switch. Which one do you want? Like, that's a real choice. How about a noodle? But I'd get in trouble, so you'd find you learn to do things in church because we didn't have children's church. You'd have to sit on the pew and you try to stay out of trouble. So, you, so I'd doodle, you know, I'd draw pictures. They'd probably take me in counseling today if they saw the pictures I drew because I'd draw a guy with a rifle and the bullets coming out of it hitting another man, you know, <laughs> ships and bit fish and stuff. And, and you'd look through binoculars at the pastor, you know. But try this one. I want everybody to do this. Hold your thumb up like that and hold your hand out. Now pick one of those lights and look at it. Now close one eye. Maybe I don't know if those lights, but we had this great big light. Look at this, maybe one of these screens up here. Now, now look at that. Now close one eye and aim. Now take that thumb and bring it right back to your eye just like that. And get it right up. Don't poke yourself in the eye, but get it right. Isn't that miraculous? <laughs> your thumb became bigger than that light. That's so cool. <laughs> Isn't that cool, man? That's cool now. When you're a kid, it's like, whoa, my thumb's bigger than <laughs> It's a matter of perspective. You see, that's the lie of Satan. What he wants to do is tell you your problem is bigger than the light. Your problem is bigger than your God. And it's a lie of the enemy. And he tricks us into thinking that our problems are bigger than God. So <clears throat> trouble doesn't become bigger than God. When the king fails, we don't sit around wringing our hands and say, oh, no, what are we going to do now? We're going to look up and see there's something other than the king. I also see the Lord. And he has not fallen off of the throne, and he is still bigger than my problems. It's just a matter of perspective. Life is filled with all kinds of problems. We have fear. We have depression. There are people who have health problems. 
people have money problems, people having problems with their jobs, people having problems with their marriages, raising children. We see problems in our government, problems with the economy. I mean, we don't have to look very far to see problems. We're talking about our national security and securing our borders and all that. Many problems. And we see it. No, we're not stupid. We're not blind. We see those things. Everything that we count on sometimes, it fails. It was like when Uzziah died, it failed. Everything we were counting on, it fails. What are we going to do now? tell you what we're going to do. We're going to look up and we're going to see the Lord. We're going to see the Lord high and lifted up sitting upon the throne. So let me ask you this morning, where are you looking? Are you looking at your problems? Are you looking at the natural realm? What are you looking at? What are you expecting? What are you looking for? We see those things. But listen, whatever you see, because I know those problems are real. We can see them. The world can see them. Isaiah could see them. The Haitians, where this boy went on the mission trip, he saw, they could see the problems. Those problems are staring us in the face. But we should always, always also see the Lord high and lifted up. His reality transcends everything. Amen? Church, we've had many encounters with God. And they've changed me. I could go back and as, as I begin to reminisce about the things that God has done. Sometimes we'll get to talking about people and they'll want to know some of the history of our church. And we'll start talking about this. And sometimes I share it. On Sunday morning, I remember sharing when the car pulled up out here and it was a Mexican lady and, uh, I mean, a black lady and three Mexican men. They couldn't speak English and they came into the church and they were supposed to be going towards Goochland, but they came this way by mistake and their car broke down in front of our church. <laughs> Come on. And they pulled in and they were waiting on a record and I'm talking to them. We'd had a dinner and I'm feeding them, trying to give them some chicken and they couldn't speak English and they kept refusing. And finally, the lady said, they're fasting today. Come to find out they were all Pentecostals. I don't know where they were headed, but they were fast. These three Mexican men were fasting. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. Here, I'm being Satan and tempting them, you know. And they went through and laid their hands on this building and began to pray in the Spirit. I don't know if they were praying in Spanish or in the Spirit. I don't, I, I don't speak. I know hablo Espanol, you know. I said, no speaking English, very good, you know. And they just started praying for this building. And I mean, I could just go on. And as, as we reminisce those things, we remember. We remember. It never goes away. Church, it never goes away. We have those encounters. And there are some people, they've never had an encounter with God. When I'm talking to you, it's like Greek. It's like, I've never had that experience. So what I want to say to you this morning is seek an encounter with God. Pastor Joel's teaching on Wednesday night. He, he, I talked to him this week. He said he... He's really building on, because he's teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, I think. And he said, you know, he took that phrase from A.W. Tozer, we need to have an arresting encounter with God. Church, you need that. We need an encounter with God. And we should all be seeking those encounters with the Lord. 
If you've ever encountered it, you know what I'm talking about. It changes you. And it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world around you. I was putting this sermon together uh, and, and uh, as I was putting it together, I, I started thinking back about um, when I was a teenage boy, I led the singing in my dad's church and they had choir specials, you know. Every Sunday you'd have somebody do a special, the choir. And so I'd sing a lot of solos. And I did this one that people asked me to do and it was a recitation. It's a recitation called Old Moe's. Old Moe's. And it goes along with the song, I'm a Child of the King. And it's a story about a rich plantation owner riding his horse and he goes out and he sees this black slave out plowing in the field and he's ragged and poor and he's singing and the man says, what in the world do you have to be happy about? You're poor. You got nothing. And, and he said, oh, Lord, mercy, master. My father is rich in houses and land. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold. His coffers are full. He has riches untold. And I'm a child of the king, a child of the king. With Jesus, my Savior, I'm a child of the King. And he says, yeah, but your clothes, you're ragged. And, and he goes on, and each verse is a recitation. And listen, when you have an encounter with God, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It changes you. So if you've never had that, you need to seek an encounter with God. Who, who knows what I'm talking about? Come on. You never, ever get over that. And it creates, there's a residue that creates a hunger in you that you want more of that, more of his presence and more of his glory. Would you stand with me, please? <clears throat> now, I, I've said all that, and, and, and I really felt the Lord quicken something in my spirit as I was thinking about how to close the, the service today and we, we want to have an encounter with God but I don't want to leave you with the impression that it has got to be something phenomenal or sensational and it was almost as if I heard the Lord say seek an encounter with me don't seek the manifestations of me because there's a phenomenon going through the church in this full gospel Pentecostal charismatic churches today about manifestations. And people are seeking those manifestations. And I believe, this is just my own personal opinion, I believe it's a diversion and a tactic of the enemy. I'm not looking for feathers to fall out of the roof of our building. I'm just going to be honest with you. I remember going to this one lady, and she was kind of into that stuff, and she reached over, and there was a feather on the back of my car, and she picked it up, and she said, what do you think? Demon? Angel. I said, I think pigeon or seagull. <laughs> I mean, it's not that I'm not a spiritual person. I am. But I, I don't chase after those things. I remember the glitter falling out of people's hair and gold fillings in their teeth and all. God may do all those things, but I'm not chasing after sensationalism. I'm chasing after God. Let me give you an example real quick, and I'm going to close. You remember 
Elijah, he's on Mount Carmel. There's 450 prophets of Baal, 150 prophets of Asherah, and Elijah. And he says, how long will you be caught between two opinions? If Baal be God, then let's worship him. But if God be God, let's worship him. And we're going to put it to a test. You build an altar, you put a bull on it, I'll build an altar, and I'll put a bull on it. And the God that answers by fire, he will be the God we serve. There had been three years of famine. Had rain in three years. They built their altar. They put the bulls on it. The 450 prophets of Baal, they're jumping around and dancing around. They're cutting themselves with lances. And Elijah's over here mocking him. He's like, cry a little louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's gone on a journey. Maybe he's gone to relieve himself. They cried the louder all day long. Then it was Elijah's turn. He said, bring barrels of water and pour it all over the sacrifice. They brought a barrel of water in a famine now. The most precious commodity they had poured it on the altar. Bring another. Bring another until the altar was covered soaking wet and the trough around it was full. And then he cried out to God and fire came down from heaven, consumed the water, consumed the bull, consumed the wood, leaped over and consumed the other bull and the other wood. And he killed the 450 prophets of Baal and the 150 prophets of Asherah. This great manifestation, this encounter with God that was phenomenal. Then Jezebel said, By this time tomorrow, he is going to be like my prophets. And Elijah ran like a scared rabbit. I want you to get this. Here's this man that's had this sensational experience with God that could very easily begin to pursue those kinds of manifestations. He's sitting in a cave, and the Spirit of the Lord came to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? He said, this and that has happened and said, I am the only one that mentions your name. He said, get up out of the cave and go up here on this mountain and look. He said, he went and he looked and he said, the Bible says that he saw a great wind. The wind rent the mountains and rent the rocks, but God was not in the wind. Then he saw the earthquake But God was not in the earthquake. Are you hearing me, church? I'm not against gold fillings. I'm not against feathers falling out and glitter and all that stuff, gold dust and diamonds and all this stuff that I've heard about. One lady came and said, oh, you got to go see this. I'm like, why? Well, it's God, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, really? I said, I don't, what? It's God demonstrating his love towards us. I said, no, honey. I said, God did that at Calvary. He, he, He don't have to do a thing to demonstrate his love for me. God wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He said, then he saw fire. I mean, that's got to be God. That's what he did before, right? See, we want to reproduce what God has done in the past. And, and if, if we feel like if, if God doesn't do this, then somehow we, it's diminished. We don't have the same experience with God. He said, but God was not in the fire. And the Bible says, then Elijah heard a still small voice and God spoke to him church what I'm telling you this morning is if you haven't had an encounter with God 
you should seek an encounter with God. My friend's my, my brother, his, his friend came back and he said, we're, we're going to pray for the presence of God. And they joined him at the altar. And they prayed for the presence of God. I don't know if anything phenomenal happened, but I can tell you something. Something phenomenal happened. And as I thought about that, this is the last thing I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to pray. I heard the Lord say, who who seeks nothing finds nothing. He who seeks nothing finds nothing. And I was reminded of the parable that Jesus gave. He said there was a man and he, he had company come over. Now, I prayed this this morning. I walked around the sanctuary before you got here. And I said, Lord, I've got company coming this morning. And your parable said, that the man had company coming. And he went to his neighbor's house and he knocked on the door. He said, I need bread to feed my friend. And the man said, I'm in bed and my children are in bed with me. Go away. And said, but the man rose up and gave him bread, not because he was his friend, but because he persisted. Then Jesus goes immediately after that and says, knock. And the door will be open to you. Seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given unto you. And I've told you many times, those are progressive verbs. It means knock and keep on knocking. Lord, I want an encounter with you. God, I'm hungry. I want bread. I've tasted it before, but God, I want more. I'm seeking your face, God. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to experience you. Go away. I'm in bed. My children are in bed with me. No, God. I'm going to keep knocking. Lord, I'm going to keep asking. God, I'm going to keep seeking. That's what he's talking about. And I heard the Lord say, you, do, you want an encounter with God? Seek an encounter with God. Because he who seeks nothing finds nothing. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.